Hey, and welcome to another edition of the Rugby Report Card. Yes, that is correct. Two in one week. What? How good are school holidays, boys? This is so good that we've been able to to organise this because we do have a special guest with us today. Um, so with us is an entrepreneur, a co-owner, an author of a new website, a director of the board. Is he a CEO, Blake? Is it, yeah, Blake, does he work <laughs> as a CEO? But more importantly for us, 72 appearances for the Wallabies. Uh, welcome today, uh, Ben Alexander. How are you today, mate? Thank you for joining us again. Ah, thanks, guys. Thanks for the intro. And yeah, all good here in the nation's capital. A little bit cold for January. Isn't it always cold? A couple of weeks of warm weather, but yeah, it's a bit chilly this morning, but yeah, we're good. It was um, looking at a few things last night, and uh, I saw you had a little sojourn, a little, little year in Bristol. Is that uh, Surely that was a very similar, no? Similar weather to Canberra? That was a very long time ago, but uh, uh, must have enjoyed it up there. Yeah, Bedford, very close. Not too close to Bristol, but um, <laughs> I absolutely loved it. And really still, still uh, good friends with a lot of guys that I played with. Uh, Dan Cole, who's still playing. Yep. He's got caught up to the England squad. Coley played with him. He was in the team on loan from Leicester. Tom Youngs. It's been a few guys uh, still in touch, yeah, with a few friends from that team. And, and it really taught me that, you know, I'd grown up thinking rugby could only be played one way, and that was the Australian way. But doing a, a year in the lower divisions of the English um, game really taught me that, yeah, there's, there's more than one way to play the game. And uh, it was a great, great learning experience on the field and just great life experience as well. Yeah, because it was just in the, the league below the top level in Division One, uh, as it was. Um, what was the major differences? Because you talk about skinning a cat a different way. What were the different differences? More forward-orientated? What what was it? Yeah, there was one team, Rotherham, and I don't think the inside centre even touched the ball. It would be literally <laughs> they'd scrum for as long as they could or more for as long as they could, and as soon as the ten, 9 or 10 got, they just kick it. And that was it. And literally that was their game plan. And they had a humongous forward pack. So there's a few physical days at the office for us piggies and our backs. They were they hardly did anything. And they'd sort of run backwards, try and get the ball, try and kick it back. But um yeah, it was just that's the thing I think I like the most about rugby is just it's such a I mean, you guys as fans appreciate it as well that there's so many different ways to play the game and how when contrasting styles um, come together and it really does make it really interesting how like it is really a game of chess unlike mm. you know AFL or rugby league right not want to bag them but I I, <laughs> I mean I don't know like the style the different styles or how you can play the game differently it sort of all looks yeah. very similar whereas rugby it's so yeah very diverse how you play the game using that, that same logic like whenever South Africa play New Zealand it's all very interesting to me because there are big bodies up front New Zealand tend to throw it around a little bit mm. um yeah I would like to ask you though uh using your expertise in the scrum which is you know one of the areas of the game that people do struggle with um sometimes we see like one week we've got the scrum absolutely dominating and then the next week it's an unrecognizable scrum from the week before could you talk to maybe what that's like as a scrummager? Or is it all just smoke and mirrors and you blokes don't know either? <laughs> no, Dan, I mean, I don't know if you've had Dan Palmer on here, but he explains it the best. And it is, it's scrummaging is really just four things. It's like, he says it's like physical, tactical, uh, mental, and there was another one. But uh, physical, tactical, mental, and there was one other one. But a lot of the weeks, like, one part of the game, you know, everyone can be fired, really focused on. 
and do really well in the moment, you're not 100% of your attention is there. It might be on the line out this week or the mall or the team's focus might be on defending really, defending really well. And if just a few people's heads aren't really focused on scrummaging, the whole, um, the whole system can sort of go go to toilet pretty quick. Yeah, and then the confidence with it, right? Yeah, it is. And so, you know, then the next week team fires up and, and scrums well again. And then so it is consistency is a really hard thing and that's what the great scrums, mm. the great teams in any regard, they're consistent. And you players feel that. You feel that change or oh, we're just not on it today, like our hit's not as good as it was last week or is it sort of dictated by how the ref's interpreting that day? You can, in, on reflection, you can tell during the week at training that like if the session is really, or sometimes we would have big sessions and people would be really focused, like going up to a big game mm. um, and and also how much of the scrum is spent in preparation in the week leading up to it. So it's one week you, know, you might do more line-outs because you're coming up against a really good line-out and you wouldn't spend much time scrummaging. So on reflection, you can usually tell how well your scrum based on, you know, how, how you went during the week. So Brumbies, we placed a lot of emphasis on, you know, scrumming really well during the week and usually that trend that transits uh, well on the weekend. Can, can I ask you a, 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 a scrummaging one? Yeah, same. Okay. Which is just size. Like obviously now you've you've got your, your app that you're running and I know you're doing a lot of running, I've seen on Twitter. Um, but w- what's it like in your career maintaining that frame? Like just being a, a massive bloke, what are those gym sessions like? What's the diet like? Like how do you manage that with cardio? What what percentage of the job is that? Like just getting yeah. yourself physically right? Yeah, no, that's a good question because that's something I really struggled with because when you come back to super level and the Brumbies wanted to play expansively and we do lots of fitness, you know, try and get as fit as I could, but then you go play test matches the next thing you on spring tour and it's raining and you're, you're coming up against massive scrums where you don't do much running and it is really much more of an arm wrestle the game. Constantly trying to jump between the two was a massive challenge for me, massive challenge. Um, I wanted to get bigger and stronger for test matches. Everybody's wanted you like, to try and get bigger, stronger and faster is is pretty a bit fair challenge. Like mm. to do Anyone can get bigger, just eat a shitload more. Yeah. more <laughs> but what's that like? Are, are they on you with the food or, or is it just put calories in? Like uh, I mean, there's probably more science to it now, but I, I started tracking towards the end of my career and that helped me get out of Fat Club. I mean, I, I didn't start tracking until after I'd sort of check and move me on from Wallabies and I wish, like I would just eat more and then whenever I'm Wallabies I'd come back to Brums and I'd be in Fat Club after the holidays and you'd get flogged with extra fitness. And then when I, because um, I just didn't know how much to eat. I just knew, yeah, I've got to eat mm. more and I didn't really look at it mathematically. Like it is, nutrition really is, I think, the, like, big differentiator between the teams that eat well or the teams that perform well consistently, I think. And that was something I learned at the Brums in 2012 and 13 when we had, we went from second last with the Real Madrid of Australian rugby to nearly winning the grand final in New Zealand two years later, beating the British and Irish Lions, uh, beating the Bulls at altitude in a semi-final the week before. And I think that all really boils back to, oh, and Jake was a great coach, don't get me wrong, but he got a guy, Dean Benton, involved. And I remember 
like we went 2011, we would have had most of the Wallaby team. Like we were, yeah, Real Madrid. Mate, I remember. Was, I was in my yeah. peak, peak fanboy stage then. Yeah, we, we drove we down. Had all, we had, yeah, like the best team on paper, but we we sucked. We, we came <laughs> second last, worst in Brumby's history, worst season ever. And then so a lot of guys left. And then in 2012, there was only, I think there was only three Wallabies at the time. So it was me, Pat McCabe and Steve Moore. In that first pre-season, the trainer, Dean, was – I'd got out to my heaviest. I think I bulked up to about 125 for that 2011 World Cup. Came back and Dean was flogging me at training, trying to get me fit for Super Rugby. I remember – and I always prided myself on trying to train hard and I went up – I just couldn't keep up. I, go, I went up to Dean Benton, who until recently has been with the Wallabies. And I said, oh, Dean, mate, I can't keep it up. Like, I'm trying as hard as I can. And he goes, Benny, I don't care how hard you're training. Go away and focus on your eating and your sleeping and your training will take care of itself. And just that, he created this environment that made that quite easy. He got us a chef, made us a sleep room. We had a great yeah. S&C trainer that literally gave us what weights we did for what for each and, and the reps for like each set. He knew roughly mm. Had it all mapped out that you know to get someone's bench press up, they need to do these reps and these volumes. Um, and yeah, so that's sort of something I really think, yeah, that I sort of struggle with that fluctuating between trying to get fit for super rugby, but then trying to get big and strong for test rugby. Um, I really, really struggled with that, but I mean, it taught me a shitload about diet, which was you know, as I've retired, it's helped me stay fit and active. and um, and I'm grateful that I sort of had to go through that hard lessons of learning about the impact diet has on our body and our weight and mental health and all that stuff. Mm. So just just one more thing about um, about the, the rugby and the, and the props in particular. I think the evolution of the role has, uh, over the last five years is is you know changed dramatically. And for me, growing up up in the north and and seeing the props and their primary role was to scrummage and to lift and align out. Whereas here, a lot more looser, a lot more loose, a lot more used into linking plays. How have you felt like the the, the role of a of a prop has changed over the last five years? And have you has it been pleasing to see, or does part of your you being the tradition, you know, when you started the games, felt like no, I want the prop to go back to being, you know, my role is to be a set piece person. You know, what would you say? I mean, I enjoyed all aspects of rugby: mm. like defense, ruck, small scrums, tacking. Like there isn't, I loved it all. And I played a lot of basketball growing up, so I felt really confident with the ball in hand. But I think the thing that's changed, like that sort of maybe that's happening in the in the Northern Hemisphere, that's starting to change. But in the Southern Hemisphere, that change was happening early in my career, that there was more expected of everyone on the field, not outside their core role. Mm. They were expected to do their core role and more. But I think the thing that's changed the most, certainly in my career, that changed the role of a prop was adding the second prop to the bench. So mm. when I first started... There was only one prop on the bench, which meant one prop was going to have to play 80 minutes every week. Did you and ever know if it was you or the other guy? Pardon? Did you ever know whether the one getting subbed was you or the other guy? Oh, it was me. It was always <laughs> I was the one always playing 80. Like, to be yeah. honest, yeah. I, yeah. So it's I was, almost reverted <laughs> back to, to more scrummaging then because you know you can tap, tap out after yeah, 45. After, yeah. Exactly. So whenever I played, I used to always have to – well, early in my career, I was – I mean, naturally, I was pretty aerobically fit, especially for props, which is kind of why I've kept up the running because I wasn't too bad at that. But I sort of knew, yeah, I went into every game now and I'm probably going to be out of the 80. Like, I'm the one that's going <laughs> to stay out. So I kind of had to pace myself a bit. But as so soon what? as they brought the second prop on the bench, I think in 2013 or 12, 
there was no need because you're as a prop, you never you shouldn't be playing more than fifty minutes, and then they bring someone fresh mm. on sub, and they do that now. You look at any good, I mean, look at the Springboks with the Bash Brothers. What are they? The bomb squad. Bomb squad yeah. They bring their best. They put their best front row on for the last thirty because yeah. usually <laughs> it's the scrums towards the end of the game that have the biggest impact. And so it's interesting trend that I think it was a masterstroke from Rassi to you know put bring Malcolm Marks off the bench, have uh, probably just about the best player in the world out there in the championship minutes, fresh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do, you, do you think that um, that's in that you would then maybe bring Tanya Latupo on for maybe the last, you know, bring him off the bench rather as a starter for for the Wallabies? hundred percent, hundred percent. You look at I can't remember what game it was. Taniella and Will Skelton both came off together about twenty to go, mm. and it was they just caused carnage. Like no, those guys coming out fresh. Of course, you'd like them fitter so they mm. could get more minutes. Come on with thirty to go, but if so be it. If they're not fit, it's playing twenty minutes in back because. Alan Alatoa's work rate is just off the charts for mm. how big he is. He is an absolute weapon and doesn't think get the credit he deserves. That we're just how fortunate we are in Australia. In my opinion, have the two best props on the planet, and mm. uh, in, in Alan and Taniella. Those two guys are different, but just both unbelievable. Mm. And um, it's really awesome for me as, as a prop to see. Yeah, especially with Alan having a lot to do with him early in his career. To yeah, it must see, be awesome. It's just awesome to see what a leader and player he's and man he's become. Mm. Uh, it's he's just yeah, so proud of him. Can I ask? In this conversation, you've mentioned some some incredible coaches. You've seen them all, mate. You, you've you've been in the change room with all of them. You're not going to give us the scoop who you loved, who you didn't love, or anything like that. But can you give us a little bit of insight? You know, what's the difference between a a Robbie Deans to a Jake White? Um, you know, what was it like when Checker came into the Wallabies there at the back end? Can you give us a little bit of insight? Because all the news about Eddie, it sounds like the world's tipping upside down. Does it change everything? Does it change not that much? Can can you give us a bit of a scoop? I mean, it, changing the coach is the biggest change you can make to a team. So it is, does it change everything? No, but it does change a lot. And I never played under Eddie. Um, I always had a yarn to him whenever we played I think only played against Japan once when he was coaching and had a yarn to him and know a lot of players that played under him. So I've certainly heard my fair share of stories as everyone has. Uh, but personally, I'm really excited that he's back. But Dave Rennie's an excellent coach. You know, Brums, we lost to his Chiefs in the 2013 grand final and the style of play that the Chiefs played under Rennie was out was awesome. Awesome physical attacking footy. So Dave Rennie, excellent coach uh, and sad. That I think the timing could have been a little bit better, but great to see that Eddie's back. Far as all the other coaches go, like, I mean, I always got a soft spot for Robbie because he was the the one coach that got me to believe that I could be better than I ever thought I could be. And a lot of that is, you know, he picked me out of the blue. But he, just the little conversations that we had and he always, you know, you want to get feedback. What can I do better? I was you know, big on trying to get feedback. What am I doing wrong? What can I do better? And Robbie was always like, Benny, just keep doing what you're doing. And he just... Um, just, yeah, I'll be forever indebted to that bloke for uh, making me believe, yeah, that I could be better than I ever thought I could be. Laurie Fisher's another one that sort of Laurie, I'll always be indebted to him for giving me my chance, a couple of chances with the Brums, uh, and just his rugby IQ is off the charts, and I really hope that we see Laurie and Eddie working together for the long haul because mm. I am super excited mm. to see those two work together, the two, probably two of the top rugby minds on the planet, uh, both ex-school teachers, Represent. Uh, mm. uh, yeah, well, that, yeah. Or when you look at all the best coaches, Jake White, Jake was a teacher, Graham Henry, 
all mm. ex-teachers. So um, they just yeah, Eddie, they all, they all just teach rugby mm. uh, and, and good at talking with children. They're <laughs> 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 educated lads. I mean, Robbie, Robbie tried to keep the game pretty simple, um, pretty attacky. Well, everyone had their strengths and weaknesses, like no doubt. Like, and Czech, Czech was awesome at firing blokes up and getting them ready to run through a brick wall. Um, like Jake, my favourite two years of my career were the two years under Jake. We're really disappointed how Jake left and it was, you know, Jake Jake the snake sort of stuff. But he's really getting the right people involved and really set the Brumbies up. Uh, and I think he's a big part of, you know, that rebuilt the Brumbies after that 2011 disgrace of a season for, you know, Australia's best rugby franchise. Ever since that year, 2012, the Brumbies have been in the top one or two Australian sides, I think ever since. Can um, I pressure on that a bit? Because you mentioned that 2011 season a little bit, and I read your blog the other day about the 2012 Lions series. Um, it sounds like you hang on to these things, which which obviously you do, right? You put your heart and soul into it. H- how long do they stick around with you? You know, a, a, you know. Tell us a bit about that line series at the end of that, if you're willing, if you're comfortable. I was at that game. Um, yeah, tough, tough. I don't know. Can you tell us a bit about that? Because here you are, ten years later, still mentioning that 2011 Brumby season, <laughs> which tragic fans here. I, I think we, the rest of us have forgotten it, but clearly it, it hangs with you. Can you tell us a bit about that mindset? Yeah, well, I mean, it's part of my story, my journey through life of those seasons and those games, and. So, and, and especially the lessons I learned during them are things I don't want to forget. I want to take them forward and um, put those lessons into action with the next part of my life and, and also, like, um, and just remember the great memories. So, like, mm. to that Lions series, like, I, I remember watching every second of that 2001 series. Like, that was just one of the best series of rugby, I think, ever. Um why the Wallabies came down and it all bought, went down to Sydney and Goog stole the line out in the last play of the third test. And not like I never, I never thought not in my wildest dreams I'd ever be good enough to play for the Brumbies, let alone the Wallabies. Like I just played every year because I loved it. All my mates played and I just kept playing footy every year. I had no goal to be a professional player. I just kept rocking up. Uh, played, yeah, was playing two or three games every weekend growing up as a, as a kid. But then when I finished school, just moved to Canberra. And just kept playing because that's just what I did. Saturday was was footy, so played for a local club here and then ended up getting in the Brumbies and sort of Australian on 21s and, and it just sort of all happened, playing professionally. But, like, yeah, to be part of a Lions series after having watched the 2001 series, it just made my head spin. I was like, I couldn't believe, remember getting into Brisbane for the first test and just all the pubs, walking around during the, like, during the week, just packed every like all these Lions fans and this the hype and the build up was like almost bigger than a World Cup. Like it was it was something special. I, I couldn't really, I couldn't really fathom hard. what that was like on the field. As a fan, my head was spinning. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like oh, it, 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 that it's contagious, that vibe, that feeling. And I, I think about, you know, running on to fourth grade park cricket, how nervous I get to bat. <laughs> I couldn't I couldn't fathom what it was like. I just honestly, when you give us just that little bit of insight, it's just mind blowing to me. I, I would, I would be vomiting running onto the field. It was like a, I mean, it's like the ultimate dream coming true. Like, really, was that you just? It was such a dream. I never even thought it'd be possible. 
like to be so part good. of a lion suit. It never ever thought it'd be possible. And then so to be there, like in the front and center, right in the thick of it in that scrum battle, and then in the sets so we just lose the first test. We go to Melbourne. I get to lead us out, the country out for my 50th test in the second test. We scrum well. We win the game on the bell. Um, and then we're like, shit, right out. We're going to Sydney for a decider. And here I'm thinking history's repeating itself. 12 years onwards, you know, I was going to propose to my wife, my girlfriend at the time. <laughs> and my it. wife was going to propose after the after the game and just, I don't know, it, it's so still hard to explain the emotional roller coaster of that night mm. of going from absolute dream, one of the proudest moments of your life, to then we just got bashed and we got, we're just, alliance are better, absolutely like, no bones about it and for it to just for a dream to just turn into such a nightmare mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. at the time just it really really it was really hard for my brain to sort of understand and comprehend that emotional roller coaster and like in hindsight it's just a game like mm-hmm. it's taken me a long time to reflect on that but you know i felt i'd let the country down i was ashamed to leave my i didn't leave my house for a week apart from to go to brums training like i just yeah, it was such a big thing to me to represent my country in a Lions series and then for us to just get blown away off the paddock and it's not like you lose a grand final, come back in one year. Lose a World Cup final, come back in four. It was like you're never getting another chance ever again. This is 12 years. You won't be playing in 12 years' time, Benny. And, yeah, I, I just drank myself into oblivion that night after the game. And so did I. Yeah. <laughs> I, I got home. I don't know where we. I don't know where we went. We went to King's Cross or somewhere. I just you know, drinking back. Phil was drinking back in someone's room after, and like really regret. Yeah, rocking up to Robbie's last team meeting. Oh, I was pickled, well pickled, and I, <laughs> but it was just my way of like way of coping with just such disappointment. And I just remember getting on the team bus to then fly back to Canberra, and I just burst into tears, like. At this time, was there like team, you know, team psychologists or they would talk to you about ways in which you could deal with it or things like that? No, nah, no. Nah. And it's not, I don't know, what, what's this, yeah, 10 years ago now. So we're really starting to make strides and understanding just how important, how your brain thinks to how you perform. There's such a close link. It's close uh, link. Really just, just uh, like learning all that. Like it's all sort of a new, some... Some uh, like the All Blacks, they got started to get a mental skills coach after that 07, um, 07 exit forward pass exit, yeah. <laughs> and they so they you know they, they were like, right, we got to deal with this, we keep choking, we're the favorites, and we keep choking. There's something up mentally, it's not physically, it's something there's something mental that's stopping them from playing their best when the when they need to. And so, New Zealand probably definitely rugby circles have been ahead of Australia in that regard. And mm. I just, yeah, really struggled. I like, I probably never. Enjoyed in. I definitely never enjoyed international footy again. Um, oh mate, that's so. Yeah, that's just so that, disappointing that, to no, hear. But that, 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 I'm glad I went through it because I really feel like it's. And I only talk about it now because as we spoke about less about like the lessons I learned from it, and the reason why it hit me so hard was that I'd allowed my whole identity and self esteem to be tied to what I do for work, mm. and the night like thought. Us losing that game wasn't all my fault. Yeah, it wasn't great, but the whole team played pretty ordinary. I mean, Willie G drops the ball off the kickoff. Some miss the tackle. Cobacera score. Cobra, Alex Cobacera scores. Like people miss heaps of tackle. It wasn't all my fault. Right? It was a team effort, mm. and it took me a long time to realise that. But I guess why I'm talking about it more now. One is 
it's to help just warn people of yeah, if your whole identity and self-esteem is pulled derived from what you do for work. The day something outside your control happens and things don't go to plan, you're going to be in a bad way and you're going to be in a dark place for a long time like I was. So I just started to talk about it more for that. This is a bit of a word of warning because I want people to go through what I went through. Uh, and I had, and for a long time, like I had shame around even describing it as trauma, but like, because I'd never lost a grandparent till five or six years later. Like, I've been super lucky. I've had an unbelievable life. But for that, for a, a dream to turn into a public, like a nightmare publicly was, and the online criticism, it was just relentless. But I am like really glad I went through it. And yeah, I carried shame describing it as trauma. And fit, so I didn't talk to anyone about it. I just had it bottled up. And that, and uh, I mean, we could talk about this for hours. Mate, it's, a, it's, it's a good lesson for fans, though. Yeah, because we flippantly say nonsense on this podcast or tweet something, but yeah, when you appreciate the the mental heart and soul that the players are putting into it, it, it gives you a bit of perspective, doesn't mm. it? It really makes you think. Can I ask? Is it? Could you imagine now in the Twitter world? Like, do you reckon it's even worse for players, or is there more support? Are they sheltered? From from the bullshit, you'd have to shelve it, surely. Are they I taught? Think, are they taught to shelve it to to not click? I don't know. It only all just sort of like I remember when I first made the wall was oh eight, and it was like the chat was, don't look at the newspapers. You know, if you don't like what people are writing about, just don't look at them. But then when sort of Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and the whole mobile revolution really happened at the my start of my career. It did make it much easier to stumble across negative criticism of yourself. And but I don't think fans should change. I really feel like players need to learn to deal with that sort of stuff and understand that if someone is going to slam you anonymously online, that they have a real problem with their self-esteem and that they are probably miserable with their lives. And I really feel like like going through that and learning that the hard way. I used to be a sucker for it, going to the green and gold chat forum, read what people were writing about me. and um, <laughs> Toxic oh, there, was, mate. Toxic. Horrible people there. <laughs> oh, but they're fans of the game and, and yeah. we need that. Passionate, like need passionate. They love it too, They mate. are. Are yeah. they channeling it in the healthiest way? Never. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> Definitely not. No, but the passion for the game is there and, yeah. I, and I encourage that. I just think athletes need to realise that I can't control it. So if you, if you struggle handling it, don't look at it. And for me, it's really put me in a great spot with like the pub and it, all the work I'm doing publicly. Yeah. I just don't care if people say, oh, the doc's shit. Like, Cretin, mate, it isn't. Cracking pub. I, just, I, haven't, I haven't been there for, but, since pre-COVID, but it was all time. Oh, but I've had, but we've had negative reviews on TripAdvisor and all that. People are bad meal and they slam me and you just, it, I've, I've, had, I've learned the hard way. It just <laughs> yeah. doesn't bother me anymore. Yeah. And it, and I'm really grateful that that Lions experience and learning to deal with criticism online really, I feel, has set me up for my next career in business. Well, what are some of the things? Because they are those things that are uncontrollable. So what strategies have you put in, in place to try and manage those uncontrollables? You talk about the running for resilience and the importance of staying fit and the endorphins that are released from doing exercise. But how have you managed to, to try to compartmentalise them and go, ah, it's just a review, you know, to, to continue to be in the positive mindset you are at the moment. So what what have you done? Oh, well, I just, I'm much more intentional when I'm on social media for a start, just, just around managing my time and not, you know, mm -hmm. it's very easy to 
all of a sudden pass an hour just sort of scrolling through. So even just just trying to manage my time, not even what I'm looking at, just managing the amount of time I spend on theirs probably makes the biggest difference. I'm just mm-hmm. on there less so I bump into criticism less. <laughs> um, I mean, for just in general, like I'm a big believer in um, well, well, that I learned through nutrition and through that, that lesson that I learned from Dean around prioritizing your sleep and nutrition over your training because you know if you prioritize if you eat well and sleep well you'll have heaps of energy to train well mm. and just that's something i'm really trying to so i work here at kpmg I'm at lunch break my boss if he catches i'm on, I'm on the lunch break and <laughs> we'll, we'll be quick yeah. <laughs> but it's something i'm trying to get through the office that like i see everyone is working so hard they're slaving away sitting at the desk doing long hours but then and skipping meals and you just that just catches up with you in the long run. And yeah. then, and like, but I get it. Like we, it, we all, and I still form the trap of, oh, I just want to work really hard and I just focus on working hard. Mm. Whereas I'm still yeah, very grateful for learning from that Dean Benton that in order to do great work and do your best, you've got to have the energy to mm. do it. And so I focus a lot on my wife and I, and we track our sleep and we both got rings. you know, I yeah. use Strava to track yeah. my runs, I track my calories with uh, Alfred, the thing i with Alfred. Um, it's, it's another form of hyper-focus that though, isn't it? Yeah, so I focus on that instead of well, everything else. I mm. focus on having doing things that are going to give me the energy to do what I want to do. And then back to the social media point, I then try and be mindful about where I'm channeling my energy. Is it cha- my channeling into things that I will find meaningful and enjoy? Like do I channel my energy into the pub? Do I channel my energy into my startup or my work or my yeah. kids and my family or trying to help grow the running for resilience community? Or am I going to spend my time and energy reading about what negative people are going to say or find fault in me no matter what I do? I'm like, well, mm. what's the point of wasting my energy with that? And when mm. I sort of look at it in that logical, well, look at it in that way, it makes it very easy to just what, like, why go look at it? And even mm. if you do, you just go, oh, that person's having probably a bad time or something's going wrong in their life. And I try and feel... Um, you know, a little bit of empathy for them. Some of the points that you just talked about there, I guess you could go back to that Robbie Dean's quote and just keep on doing what you're doing. <laughs> can, can, yeah. I, can I ask, Ben, we've sort of, I don't know, I, I feel like a bit neg. We've spoken about some of the tougher points of your career. While we've still got you for a couple of minutes, can we ask you what were some of the, the cracking moments, whether it was a, a game, a series, a win, or even a, a tour or a roommate? You're not allowed to or, mention beating England or, at any point, though, Ben. That's that's one uh, rule was, of this show. Beating England in 2012 certainly comes to mind. Um, <laughs> and, on, and what's that like? What's the high like? like how are the boys so well. after it? It's pretty awesome. Like we we got dusted by France the week before, and the English media, oh, uh, uh, they're the worst the whole aren't week. They? And to go out, and we were ravaged with injury, and we really stuck it up them. And to go to that function room, I think it's called the long room or whatever the big function room at Twickenham is. And you go up there after a win, oh, it's awesome. Oh. Like all the Pommy fans are all, you know, very they respectful. <laughs> and They're all great, like really respectful. They get you a beer. They say, well, play. But if you go up there after England and towed you up, oh, it's awful. Different story. <laughs> so any, yeah, there's a couple of times I won at Twickenham against England like, and playing against Johnny Wilkinson, 09. So we won in 08, but I was in the squad. I didn't play that game. Next year, 09, we won and it was like, Wilkinson's first game back in ages and I tried to run over the top of him and he sat me on my ass 
Could tackle. He, yeah, could tackle. Could, yeah. Oh, could tackle. Could tackle. <laughs> and then he kicked a drop goal, and I remember the whole stadium just broke out into swing low, sweet chariot, and we dug. We ended up winning. So that they're like two great memories. Um, Didn't have to bring up two wins against England, man. This is getting a bit outrageous. <laughs> uh, just well, they're both 2012, because we were really written off leading that one. The in, the, the Tamua like, inside ball. In the semi-final in South Africa, that's one that stands out to me too as a Brumbies win. Oh, and uh, um, to Tavita for the try to beat the Bulls. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's uh, that. And, like, obviously that and, and making the grand final again the next week, nearly you know, with 10 minutes to go, up by 10, beating against the reigning champs in Hamilton and then to fall into a heat the last 10 minutes. That That's a great memory and still a little bit sad. But probably one of my favourite wins, for Brums was in 2012, so the year before we made the grand final, uh, the Highlanders came to town, and so we had that big rebuild. Um, you know, 2011, all the all of the senior guys had all left, and so we had a super young squad. You know, we had a young Nick White, Michael Hooper, oh, uh, Matt Tamua. Oh, Matt Tamua been around a little bit, but Tavita Kurandrani. You know, we had a really young team, and the Highlanders came to town. Like they might have been around four or five, and they were undefeated. We'd lost one or two, but we'd, we'd shown decent signs uh, and we ended up like smashing them. Not smashing them, but we it was the best game. And that was just, I remember walking off that field going, oh, something's changed here. We are mm. like, we're just, you know, young team, beat the top of the table Kiwi side. It was a cracking game. Joe Tamani got a couple of intercept tries early on. We, we didn't just get to see the best really of him, well. did we? We never did, no, no. not in Australia. Couldn't um, play, though. Oh, oh goodness! Oh, and okay, he had a couple of cracking Wallaby matches. Yeah, then yeah. In 13, he played awesome. But JT, yeah, a lot of injuries. Still playing in Japan. Mm. Um, one mm. of the absolute greats. Oh, on that, can I ask who who was the player you looked over and just went, "Yes, he's on my team today." Because uh, even in the lowest grades, mate, I had that George Smith. George Smith and um. I mean, Senator Pocock's another one. Yeah. <laughs> Did George Smith not? There's a rumor going around that he wasn't the best trainer. Any truth to uh, that? It's not a rumor. <laughs> <laughs> but he just knew he was so confident in what he could do. And he was very, like, not sort of save your energy during the week to explode on the weekend type stuff, but he was just very confident in his prep. And he knew he just didn't. He was a freak of nature, though. Like, yeah, he's a different. Freak of nature, yeah. And I know time. Oh, yeah, I'll just if George doesn't have to train hard. It means I don't have to. And then mm. I learned pretty quickly. No, Ben, you've got to train hard. <laughs> George is an end of one rare exception to be that. He was good. in the sleep room, I think. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, and he just he just read the game like like no one I've ever played with. His ability to read the game and just make decisions on top of his freakish um, physical ability. Mm. But then, yeah, Poey when he was on as well, just. Some of my favourite rugby memories are off the back of that bloke's um, bravery as well. Can I ask, uh, we are, and I, I think the boys would agree with this, we are terrible rugby players, uh, but we love the game so much. Uh, well, Blake's shaking his head. Okay, yeah. I'm a terrible You're rugby player. You're stuck in 2011. So yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> and, and there is nowhere. Pulling on the, the local rugby club shirt was, was a moment. Getting the, the, the tie was a, was a good moment because of the, oh, the, the status that a tie holds. What was it like getting that first Wallaby jersey? You know, when it was presented to you in your wallaby cap, like, like the the, the sense of pride and what what, what did it feel like? Because we're clearly never going to have that. Yeah, so I don't really remember getting. <laughs> I don't remember it. But the thing that really reminds me is when I got my first, my first phone call to come join the squad. That made my head explode because um, I'd only played you know, four or five games off the bench for the Brums. 
They were just off the bench. Hadn't even started a Brums game. And to get mm. that call to come join the squad, just, yeah, I remember that vividly. Who'd you I tell first? I was at a friend's house. And I went out on the balcony. I didn't recognise the number. And I'd, like, answer the phone. And then I think it was Phil Thompson, the, who's now the Brums CEO, was the team manager at the time. G'day, Ben. Congratulations on your appointment. You're a selection of the Wallabies. We need you to come to Sydney tomorrow. And I was just like, shit, the bed. Um, <laughs> like, I didn't really say anything. I was just sort of like, oh, okay. And then I go back inside to my mates and they all run over. They go, someone died. Like I went pale apparently and they just, I'm just like, I've just been picked for the Wallabies. And they just all like, well, like, what? <laughs> uh, anyway, and then, yeah, I remember not sleeping and then my grandfather took me to the airport the next morning and I flew to Sydney and it got announced publicly and I think, Came back from the press conference and checked my phone. And I had like three hundred text messages and oh, so good. That's so good. And life's never been the same. How good? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, we are conscious of your lunch break, Ben. So I don't know. Is well, there... probably, yeah, five more minutes. Yeah, five more minutes. minutes. Can I, I wouldn't mind what, some projections yeah. in what you reckon Super Rugby, how the Brum's going to go this year, some some insights and in how you think the World Cup's going to fare. What do you reckon? Yep. We beat New Zealand this year. Yeah, I reckon we are. And I mean, if you just look at the track record. I think the last four or five times the year before the World Cup, we do beat them. So we beat them before the last World Cup in the year leading up to it. I know leading up to the 2015 World Cup, we beat them in Sydney. Nick White kicked a long penalty or no, scored a try to win. 2011, when we played them before that World Cup, we, we touched them. Well, didn't touch them. We, we played well and beat them in Brisbane. Look at 07, we beat them in Melbourne. Sterling Mortlock, um, Played really well, and they would beat them at the MCG. So we've got a good track record. I mean, history would say, yes, we will, because we have New Zealand. I think they sort of, you know, they they plan really well, and they they obviously plan to peak at the World Cup. So we should beat them this year. I mean, as far as Super Rugby goes, as a Brums fan, I'm a bit worried about the Waratahs. Yeah, they look great squad, mate. Great squad. And I just think Darren Coleman's really growing as a leader and as a coach, and. Uh, which is awesome because he's a great bloke and he deserves it. And just don't want to wish him too much luck. But I mean, we need it in the game, especially <laughs> in Canberra. Like it's the game that gets the most people to it is when mm. we play the Waratahs. But a couple of years ago, we beat them by sixty, and and it's like people. We need a villain uh, mm. in Australian rugby um, to get entertainment, and when we need it, we need. A, unfortunately, I hate them, but we need a strong Waratahs side. So I do think I'm coming up for that. Game in round one. We're That's playing. Right. Oh, I might it see is. you out there. there. I see you there. Baby. Yeah, yeah. The new SFS came to check that out. Yeah. So we'll be behind the post. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be. Very, I don't know where we're sitting. We'll find that out. But I really, think, yeah, I'm concerned about that game. Like, I think the Waratahs are going to be really tough. We've had a good run against them for a while. So we really think it's going to be out of us and the Waratahs for the Aussie Conference. Um, can I ask, is there anything that you'd do if you had a magic wand? Is there anything that you would do to change the Super Rugby format and not necessarily format, but also the branding of it? Because, you know, we're, we're, we're the fans that will turn in, uh, tune in on a Friday and a Saturday to watch it, but the average Joe might not. You know, is it a case of putting names on backs of shirt? Is it making shirts, shirts cheaper? Is it um, success? What is, is it? Australian is, teams winning. Yeah, but even when it was like the, the, Aus- uh, the Super Rugby Australia, it wasn't as, you know, only Australian teams can win, but what? What would you say needs to be done to increase the the popularity, and the is it just branding? What, what would you do? So there's two so two points. One is I think they finally settled on a good system for Super Rugby. Yep. There's too much chopping and changing of the comp. 
it's so hard for a fan to understand. I had a Super Rugby work this year. Like, yeah. And I remember one year with Brums, maybe 2016 or 17, we were awful, but we still topped the Aussie Conference and got a home quarter final against the Hurricanes. Mm. They put like 50 on us early mm. in the year yet and finished well above us on the ladder, yet we got to host them in a home quarter final and they still beat us. Yeah. So there's been a lot of really poor decisions in the past from Stanza, but I think they have finally settled on a really good sustainable model now where it's just crazy the amount of travel we used to do. And you think oh, about yeah. just the dollars, the dollars spent on sending teams to South Africa and Argentina yeah. and Japan. Putting them up for a week. Putting them up, yep. And, uh, like, it just bonkers amount of money. So I think Super Rugby now is in a really good structure and they've got to stick with it now, and in which they've signed a good long deal with with um with New Zealand, so that's really good. I think they've finally got that sorted. But to your point around like trying to attract like the average Joes, I just really feel we just got to focus on re-engaging the diehards and stop worrying about trying to grow mm. the game and go after people that like league and AFL. Let's just focus on the people who have or once had a real love and passion for rugby mm. in Australia and let's re-engage them. Let's mm. get them back involved and focus on them not worry about growing the game. Let's just worry about relighting the fire of passion of rugby union and just talking mm. with fans that do deep down care and want the Wallabies to do well and want Australia to perform well on the international stage. Mm. Because I feel AFL and league are great sports, but I, I really worry Australian society and culture that we now are kind of giving up because it's too hard to, like, win on a world stage. We'd rather beat a suburb than a country. We'd rather <laughs> beat Collingwood down the road when you live in Richmond and try and beat, you know, England. Or, like, yeah. it's we're just sort of that's the trend I'm really noticing. Um, yeah. That, yeah, we're just we love winning so much. We'd rather beat be a big fish, a big fish in a small pond than mm. try and compete on a global stage, which we used to be one of the best sporting nations mm. on the planet and we could take on any country. And I just feel it's a bit of a societal thing that we're just putting it in the too hard basket and we'd just rather follow sports and games where, you know, there is going to be a winner, an Australian set of fans that are going to yeah. be a winner. Can I ask, while I've got you, can you tell us a little bit about... <laughs> this was a long four minutes, yeah, wasn't it? Your, your app and your pub. Tell us a bit about your app and your pub while we got you. Well, it's a great read. The dock. So open it with Scott Fardy. Is it uh, in so Kingston, the, right? Yeah, the Kingston Foreshore. Yeah. So the dock, we've been, we just had our eighth birthday. So, yeah, it's a pub. You can drink beer, you can eat food, you can watch sport. I'm sold. Yeah, it's great. Mate, it's sold. an understated so, part of Canberra. It's beautiful down there. Everything you need, nothing you don't. And then uh, my app, it's called Alfred, so it helps uh, people count their or track their calories in one minute per day. So I was, you yeah, Use as we said before with my diet, struggling to track my diet and figure out how much I needed to eat to either lose weight or put on muscle. I started, yeah, using my fitness pal uh, and loved it and um, you know, used it every day for a few years. And then any friends and family were like, Oh, how'd you lose weight? I said, Oh, well, I just tracked my food, I used my fitness pal, and they'd all download it. But it just it is, it's a ton of work because it was originally designed for bodybuilders who, um, you know, it's the whole livelihood is around their body fat percentage. And I thought, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm pretty natural. I'm a front rower, so I'm naturally a pretty lazy person. I thought, oh, could you make one where you pay someone else to do all the work for you? And so that was sort of the idea. And so now we've partnered up with the University of Canberra and we have nutrition students 
doing all the data entry for people. So you just send them a text or a photo of what you ate and they'll estimate the calories for you. So How good. That's so good. Yeah. And also yeah. just a quick plug as well, like benalexander.substack.com. I've been reading your blog over the last few days. Great read, by the way. you got some really good articles. Just uh, really on honest. Yeah. yeah it's, it's really refreshing. There's something you wrote on Twitter, oh, I think it was yesterday, I was at the gym, all the quit coming into me and you wrote something about not having to flog yourself at the gym. And I thought, good enough for me. I'm out of here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that and like, like I read Dean Benton, sorry to rant a bit, but Dean, the guy, the trainer, he sent me an interesting article a little while ago about uh, Norway and how Norway is now like per capita probably considered the best sporting nation on the planet now. Wow. The article contrasts how the Norway, Norwegian approach to sport versus, say, the, the US's where it's all about winning and pushing yourself to the limit and flogging yourself in, in the name of victory. So in Norway, the government um, subs, heavily subsidised like children's sport and so the kids are not allowed to compete for points. They're not allowed. They're encouraged to play multiple sports and just play for enjoyment and for, you know, have fun while exercising with friends. And they in the article they contrast to the US where now every kid has pressure from their parents to become a college star or a mm. high school star to win a college scholarship. Mm. And there's so much pressure on kids to play sport now where the average child in the US stops playing sport at 11. That's crazy. 11, that is, crazy. Dis that is a fucking disgrace. Mm. That That is going to just set that country up for a human, if they're not already there, a humongous health crisis mm. down the track and you compare to norway so the government they do it they spend the money on prevention and making it cheap and easy for kids to play sport because they know they'll save money as the population old ages as they keep people active mm. and so that that quote in the, in the in the tweet thread was just i see a lot of people they want to get into running or they want to start being more active but they've just got it i think so, so culturally we've just got it wired in our brain that we think we've got to flog ourselves every time we go out and do some exercise and it's yeah it's a good shout because i listen to the rock yell at me at the gym and yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah that's it's enough to not come story. tomorrow <laughs> well i'm sorry mate you're not going to be the rock yeah but <laughs> like, it shouldn't stop you from getting out yeah. and getting sweat on and getting some endorphins because it's it's great for your physical and mental health so i I'm trying to, it took me a little bit of a while to sort of unwind from, um, you know, being so focused as an athlete that I go out and I train hard and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Whereas now I don't, I just need to exercise to enjoy it because, and mm. just stay active because something is always better than nothing. That's a great and right. That's what we're trying to, I'm trying to get out through running for resilience and why the pub sponsors it is just to get that message out of, you know, you're not feeling great. We Have a run and then a schooner. Yeah, with your mates, Mate. and we just—it's you don't have to run the whole course. No. You go slower, as fast, or as far as you want. Cardio's just... harder to show up for than throwing some tin around. That's for sure. Mm. Cardio's yeah. not easy. <laughs> but no, but it's just whatever. Like you can walk it if you want. Just do something. Mm. And so I just yeah, really trying to push back around that mindset that I think a lot of people who are new or wanting to get exercising have that they just think they got to flog themselves, mm. and you don't. You, it, yeah, you don't. 
well, just we should to, probably yeah, wrap up. Yeah, I was just say thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today, you know, uh, for giving up your lunch break at KPMG and for spending our, spending the time with us talking uh, talking the shit, really, which, Mate, which been has awesome. been amazing. You know, yeah. the fact we've touched on mental health, you've touched on diet, touched on lots of things. But the most important thing is the insights you've given us to your rugby career and what it's like uh, within that little moment of, of Brumbies and Wallabies. So thank you so much indeed. I yeah, really appreciate it. Genuinely inspiring. We normally come here and talk absolute shit. So it was really refreshing. Mm. Yeah. Uh, it was awesome. It's going to be a great year. Something in the water this year with the rugby. There's something in the water. Who's your quick tip, World Cup? Who you got? I'm going. I'm going to be both semis in the final. So my France oh. is my, I'd say France are the favourites. Mm-hmm. And they're my like backup team if the Wallabies don't go all the way. I'll we get knocked out. But I'm pretty, I'm pretty hopeful we're going to at least make the semis. So... I'm expecting you're on the right the side semis. of the draw. Yeah, and France, France are probably my favourites. Um, yeah. I like it. I awesome. like it. Well, I like thanks it so lot. much. Yeah, thanks so much. Enjoy the workout and thanks again, Ben, for your thanks, time. Mate. Really appreciate it. Cheers, guys. Thanks. Bye. Great, chat. Well, Great chat. All I can say is. Whatever study you read, Scandinavian countries dominate. Yes, they really do. <laughs> Isn't Finland the, the, the best place to go to school? Or Everything. Something? They're they're all welfare Dude, social they, states. Aren't they, they ruled the world from eight hundred to eleven hundred, and then from nineteen eighty until now. That's their years. Just all right. Dominate. Well, thanks for listening. He was an absolute not legend. A, not great Alexander. rugby nations, though, are they? Mm. Could be though. <laughs> Could they? A couple of Vikings. They're just a team of second rowers. It's a country of second Blonde rowers. Second rowers. <laughs> yeah. I guess there's yeah. a bit of that in South Africa. <laughs> ben Alexander was great. Should we wrap up? What yeah. a legend. I he really, was. I really Amazing. enjoyed that. Really enjoyed that. Dude, Absolutely. I've never been as pumped as I am now for this year, for rugby, just at the start. I am so jazzed. How good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. All right. Thanks. Whoa, 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 whoa. Before you go, just a quick shout out for the Sydney Sevens um, on the 20. Fact check me here, Richard. 27, 28. 29th. So it's the Friday, Saturday, Sunday, the last ones of January. Sydney Seven is going to be kicking off in the new, spanking new stadium at the SFS. Excellent facilities from what I've heard. What about you? You guys heard anything? Oh, I'm very excited to check it out. Yeah, it's not their facilities. I'm excited about the rugby that's going on. That's there. right. It's Man. been a revolution in seating is what I'm hearing on the uh, oh, they go around? On the talk of the town. Revolution in seating. Revolution in seating. I'm pumped to watch the Australian women's team play. I, I want to watch that live. That is a phenomenal team. Mm. Mm. If you've been living under a rock, it's 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 a no-brainer, the talent that is walking around that female team at the moment. And the men's, always a difficult, challenging competition. And they've mm. had a hell of a season too. So yeah, bring absolutely. on this new year. Yeah, excited. And tickets are still available as well. Mm. And we're planning to go down on the Sunday. Yeah, so, we'll uh, be there on the Sunday. Yeah, uh, so... Uh, uh, looking forward to, to seeing you guys there. Come yeah, and find us. Yeah, give us a shout-out if you're there. Um, Send us a tweet. How good. All right. All right. Thanks, guys.